a recession really is baked into the cake. The, the money supply in the United States has been contracting actually for about 10 months. <laughs> That's shrinking the money supply. And when that happens, with, with a lag of about six to 18 months, economic activity starts changing. And so a contraction means what? It means a recession. And if the Fed continues to have this car in reverse, we're, we're gonna probably have a pretty good recession. Maybe one, one that will last quite some time. And Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. When he was on this channel back in August of 2021, when inflation was 5%, today's guest made the bold prediction that the CPI would eventually hit 9%, which it indeed did the following June. So where does he see inflation headed from here? To find out, as well as hear his latest outlook on Fed policy, the US dollar, recession risk in the markets, we welcome back Steve Hankey, Professor of Applied Economics at the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to be with you again, Adam. It's always a pleasure, Steve. I follow your work closely, especially your Twitter account. Um, you have been uh, at no loss for words of many things that have been happening uh, in, in the economy and in the markets and you know geopolitically this year. Lots to talk with you about here. Um, before we dive into it, although, just I want to ask my normal high-level starting question. What's your current assessment of the global economy and financial markets? Well, starting at the epicenter of things, the United States, I think a recession really is baked into the cake. The, the money supply in the United States has been contracting, actually, for about 10 months. That's shrinking the money supply. And when that happens, with, with a lag of about six to 18 months, economic activity starts changing. And so a contraction means what? It means a recession. And if the Fed continues to have this car in reverse, we're, we're gonna probably have a pretty good recession, maybe one, one that will last quite some time and, and, and be deep. We can get into that in detail later, but so that's the that's the starting point. Always is that the the main thing is what's going on in the United States. Europe is is in bad shape. They've they've essentially uh, also money supply has been slowing way down. So that's a key. Same with the United Kingdom, money supply slowing way down. Credit uh, getting squeezed, and the war against Russia that's, that's really being led by the United States is, is really throwing a, a spanner in the works, not only the US economy, but also the European economy. So, so those, are, those are the two, two big ones. Then, then you've got another real big one with China and it, it's coming back and slow, slowly coming back online after stupidly imposing these lockdowns you know, we've done this big study at Johns Hopkins with uh, Jonas Herbe and Lars Yonig. Uh, Herbe's in Denmark and Yonig is in Sweden. And I'm, of course, at Hopkins. Uh, we're, we're public, that, that research we did will be published uh, as a book shortly. But the conclusion was that lockdowns essentially don't do anything to improve 
public health, but they kill the economy. And what did they do in China? Well, they had severe lockdowns and it really crippled the economy. And, mm-hmm. But they're kind of coming back out of it. So that's, that's a plus. Uh, in India is doing, doing okay. Uh, Indonesia is doing okay. So that's, that's kind of the, the big ones in Asia. Uh, so the picture is kind of bleak, I would say, kind of bleak. Uh, and one in which there's a lot of uncertainty, not, not only bleak, but we don't know how severe the storm is going to be. There, there's definitely going to be a storm in the United States, and there'll be one in Europe, and there'll be one in the UK. Exactly how intense that storm will be, no one really knows yet, but it seems like these central banks are, are hell-bent on continuing what they're doing stupidly to over-squeezing over the money supply. They're not paying attention to the money supply, over-squeezing it with quantitative tightening. And uh, the, the Fed and, and, and the ECB and the Bank of England clearly uh, are, are just basically have been flying blind. I mean, they're not looking at the money supply, so they're, they're, they're flying blind. They're, they're driven by daily data that come out, short-term data. They're called what they call data-driven. They're not looking at the quantity theory of money that relates the changes in the money supply to economic activity, prices, and things like that. They're looking at daily data, so a lot of noise. They, they watch the noise. They don't watch the signal, which is the money supply. The signal's the money supply. It's the only thing that counts. And they, and they listen to all the noise coming out every day. So that's, that's kind of 30,000 feet. That's kind of a starter. So you got you to be very careful. Storm, storm clouds are gathering. Okay, great. So gathering storm clouds, you feel relatively confident a recession lies ahead, baked in the cake, especially if the central banks continue to focus on the noise and not the signal. Um, You didn't mention the markets. We are going to get a chance to talk about that in depth in a bit, but I assume you're not very optimistic about the general economic conditions. Should I presume that you're not generally optimistic about the market conditions going forward? Uh. No, I'm not. Uh, so, and, and I said the volatility and uncertainty, especially with these sanctions, the U.S., you know, weaponizing the financial system is extremely dangerous. And, and, and I don't think it's, it's really made a big bite yet, but, but it could. Uh, and, and it just throws a lot of uncertainty in the markets. It, it did disrupt the oil market, of course, and the grain markets for a while. And, and, uh, but the financial markets have been kind of immune from financial sanctions so far. But that's, I say so far, because financial sanctions, by the way, the history, the reason the financial sanctions are so stupid is twofold. <laughs> One, if you put sanctions on, that, that goes against the principle of free trade. And the French principle of free trade is really what's behind prosperity and growth. So, so that's one thing holding back, by the way, the international economy. When you said you, my broad view of things, one thing holding back 
broad growth throughout the, the world, which you can look at the IMF does these forecasts, these big global forecasts, and they've got a pretty, a pretty low growth scenario coming out of the, the, the IMF forecast. And one reason for that are these sanctions. And the sanctions are anti-free trade, anti-market, just anti-prosperity, anti-everything. I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely stupid in terms of principle, but in practice they're even worse in the sense that they never accomplish their stated objective. So if you're going after somebody and you want regime change, you wanna change your regime in Korea. Well, we've had sanctions on Korea for decades. What's, what's happened? Oh, Cuba. Let's overthrow Castro. That's a great idea. We put sanctions on. Well, what, what do we have in Cuba? How about Maduro? This is one of the most stupid cases in Venezuela. Maduro was weak. He was in power. He, he was floundering around. We put sanctions on. That was 10 years ago. We've kept Maduro in power. The U.S. policies of sanctioning Venezuela are the only reason Maduro is in power right now. He's actually had two hyperinflations in those 10 years, a complete disaster. But with sanctions, what do you get? You get a rally around the flag effect. Right. And it keeps Maduro in the saddle. So the history of sanctions is, is one of a complete disaster as a policy. They do not accomplish their stated objectives. But the US, and, and by the way, this is very bipartisan. If you think this is just Biden doing this, no, no. We, we, we were doing it with Bush big time. In fact, a after September 11th, George W. Bush ramped up financial sanctions fairly severely. And they were followed by uh, the Obama administration and, and of course, Trump also, and now we have Biden. And, and Bi with Biden, of course, there's like tripling down because, because Biden has entered a proxy war. The US is very involved, by the way, in this war. If you look at these leaked papers that just came out, for example, it's very clear the US is doing everything except sending battalions of ground troops into Ukraine. So. So this is another thing that people aren't thinking about. When you talk about markets, you better be thinking about things like this. So that does get to one market. Gold has been pretty strong, by the way. And uh, it, one, one aspect is a safe haven thing. So you have a war going on. Okay, that's good, for, that's good for gold. You have a banking crisis. That's good for gold. And you have... A, and a recession baked in the cake. And usually when a recession comes about six months before the recession and, and going into the recession, during the recession, gold is strong. So, so that's, one, that's one market that's you know, a, a pretty safe bet. I, you know, you're not going out, going out too, too far on, the, on a long plank if you're, if you're gonna be long gold with the kind of environment that, that I'm describing right now. That we're in. Okay, great. Well, look, I want to I want to get to more discussion about gold specifically, as well as you know the other assets you think are either well positioned or poorly positioned, given the 
the macro environment you just laid out for us. But we got we got some ways to go before we get there. Um, so let's let's if we can let's let's talk about central banking for a moment here, um, because that is what is driving a lot of the action. And it, particularly, you said that look, you know, these guys are looking at the the noise and not the signal. They're continuing to tighten here while the most important metric that you said, you know, money supply is contracting. And uh, we've not seen a contraction in M2 for decades and decades and decades. Um, so, Steve, as you had talked about, you know, the Fed and the world, other central banks, um, uh, you know, they they ended up creating the 9% inflation that you had been warning about, right? So they were complicit in creating that inflation. They certainly waited too long to take action against it. Um, now they have. They've raised rates um, further and faster in the shortest period of time uh, in the data series that I know of here. So um, I, I, I want to ask you basically two things. Um, one is, um, you know, we might be in, in, in danger of now of the, the Fed and the other central banks over tightening, right? And as you said, uh, creating a recession, perhaps even a, a worse recession than might be necessary here. So there are two things going on. Like even if the central banks pause right now, right? And, and a number are beginning to, right? I think uh, Canada, Australia, India have all announced pauses. Um, Powell is talking like, you know, maybe I got one rate hike left in me, but I'm going to see. But even if they pause here, we've got the lag effects from all of those rate hikes uh, that the Fed's made over the past year that take about a yearish or so, you know better than I, uh, to fully manifest in the economy um, after the Fed has made the decision. Um, we also have tightening lending standards going on now that have been exacerbated by the banking crisis. And you know, Jerome Powell said recently that those sort of substitute as additional rate hikes, which is one of the reasons why he's saying, I'm going to kind of wait until the next FOMC before I determine if I want if, if another hike is needed or not. Right. So my point is, is we have all of these additional um you know, impacts that are going to serve to continue to contract things, even if the Fed just stays, tries to stay flat from here. So two questions for you. One is, how important are those factors I just mentioned, the rate hikes and the credit tightening in terms of kind of making things worse from a, a contracting standpoint? And then secondly, do you think the Fed is going to be able to hang in until inflation is truly tamed? Or are these you know, contract the gravity of these contracting forces going to break something systemic and force the Fed to step in because uh, it's trying to it has to it feels like it has to save the system at that point. Okay, now Adam, to unpack that, actually, you've asked about twenty questions. Not two, but, <laughs> I'm sorry, I did. Uh, so, so let, let 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 me just kind of ramble around over the territory that you were covering there. Uh, first, the inflation story. I, I, I think, it, as you mentioned, John Greenwood and I were the first ones to actually forecast and put a number that was correct on where inflation was going to go and that it would be permanent. It would, it would uh, persistent. It would be persistent, not permanent. It would be persistent, not temporary. Mm -hmm. And, and we did say it would go up to 9%. It actually went to, at the peak at 9.1%, the headline CPI in the United States. So the question is, now where are we? Well, about a year ago, we, we using, again, the quantity theory of money, focusing on the money supply, 
MV equals PY, we indicated that by the end of 2023, that's this year, inflation would be around 5%. So, so it would be coming down towards 5%. Then about two months ago, we, we noticed and that the money supply was contracting. And, and not only that, and I'll get into this in a minute, but the loans and leases put out by the commercial banking system, which are a big contributor to the money supply growth, those were actually slowing down a lot. Banks were cutting back. This was before, you know, Silicon Valley Bank and all, and all the First Republic and all of that hit the fan. So it was already slowing down the, the bank credit. So we revised based on the declining and contracting money supply and the squeezing of the credit in the commercial banking system, our year-end inflation forecast. And now it's two to 5%. So we, it's a big range, but it's, it's coming down. So the inflation story is in a way over. They've, they've already overdone things so much that inflation is coming out of the system, contrary to what the Fed keeps telling us. Greenwood and I are looking at the money supply. If you look at the money supply, what, what's that tell you? It tells you it's contracting so rapidly that with a lag of 12 to 24 months, we know that inflation starts changing. And that's why we've revised our inflation forecast from 5% at the end of this year to a range of 2 to 5%. So that's, that's the first thing. Uh, and, and, it, and remember, you did talk about lags. Remember, the lags are important and, and people have to watch the money supply. And then the lags are as follows. In one to nine months after the money supply starts making a significant change, you get changes in asset prices. That's you know equities, for example, home prices, sensitive commodity prices, those start changing. Then with, a, with, a, with another lag of about six to 18 months, you get changes in real economic activity. That's changes in real GDP. And, and that's why we know the recession is baked in the cake. We've had a huge contraction in the money supply. So after six to 18 months, you're gonna get a recession. Well, we've already been in, we've had 11 months of monetary slowdown. So we, we know this, it's right around the corner of the recession and a weakness. And then the ultimate lag, 12 to 24 months, you get changes in headline CPI. So, so that's the lag part of the story. And, and the reason people get confused, they, they don't understand the lags. They're, most people are data driven. They're looking at what's happening today in the economy. So you get a lot of noise, number one, that's a big problem. So what should you look at? You should look at what's going on in the money supply, not only today, but what's been going on in the last year or so with the money supply. But people don't look at that. They look at what's happening today and, and they, they don't get these lags figured out. It's very, very confusing for most people. So, so that's, that's kind of the lag story. Now let, let's talk about the, the bank credit for just a little bit. Most people don't understand that 
the money supply in normal times, about 85 or 90 percent of the of broad money is produced privately by banks. It's it's not produced by the Fed. It's private money. It's credit that loans and leases that have been extended by the commercial banking sector. And if you look at what's been going on in the commercial banking sector, we were up at the, uh, in, the in last summer, we, we, we were up to year, year over year growth. Well, e even as late as, as July, for example, of last year, bank credit, uh, was growing at 10% year over year. And now it's, it's down on February, it was down to five and a half percent. And, it, and it's going down very fast. Credit, credit, credit is really being squeezed now because in, it was going down, it was trending down. And then we had the banking blow up with Silicon Valley Bank. And, and, and so on. So, so, so that contribution has actually been positive. It's been slowing, it's been diminishing, but, but, but bank credit is maybe going to end up going in negative territory. It could, it could actually start contracting if, thing, if things develop as I think they might. In any case, Whatever they've been contributing, forget it. It's it's going to be it's going to be nil. There's not going to be much contributed by the commercial banks. And and if the Fed is quantitative tightening and reducing the size of its balance sheet, even if it leaves the Fed funds rates where they are, or maybe takes them down 25 basis points or something like that, you're still going to have this massive downward contraction in the money supply continuing on. It's been going for 11 months, but it's going to be continuing on. And all that means is that the recession will last longer than otherwise would be the case. So, so that gets to another part of your 50 question thing and two. <laughs> uh, and that is, well, what, what should the Fed be doing? Mm. And if you look at the quantity theory of, we use the quantity theory of money, as John Greenwood and I do, and we calculate what's called, we call a golden growth rate, Green, Greenwood and Hankey golden growth rate. And that is the growth rate in the money supply measured by M2 that is consistent with the Fed hitting an inflation, its inflation target at 2%. And that's more or less between five and 6% is back at the end, but let's just say five and a half percent. Well, <laughs> what, what's, what's the growth in the money supply right now? As I look at the number, your, your, the year-over-year year growth rate in U.S. money supply is minus 2.35% year-over-year. It should be growing at plus 5.5 to be consistent with hitting an inflation target at 2% and use, using the golden growth rate. But they don't look at the money supply. They don't look at things like the golden growth rate. So, again... They're flying blind. These people are really, I have to label them just incompetent at this point. They, and, and what's my evidence? My evidence is pretty clear. 
they they were not able to forecast inflation. Remember, they said it was a temporary little glitch that was going to go away because of supply shock chain problems and things mm -hmm. like that. They still talk that way, by the way. <laughs> but but now they they switched into oh it, it's 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 kind of persistent and we keep, have to keep fighting and fighting and fighting it. And as Greenwood and I have pointed out, no, that fight is already over because they crushed the money supply so much. So another thing I would like to point out, uh, you said, well, central banks all over the world have been, you know, pumping up money, pumping up money, giving us a lot of inflation. Well, that was true. The U.S. did it. The United Kingdom did it, the Bank of England and the European Central Bank. That's true. But but what, what about, and, and so everybody says, oh, inflation, it's global, it's global. No, it's not global, it's local. It depends on what local central banks are doing with their money supply. Now, the three that I just gave you were pumping and they got a lot of inflation as a result of that. But if we look at China, where's China's inflation now? China's inflation is 1% per year. China didn't pump anything. Uh, what, what about Switzerland? Their inflation rates 3.4% year over year. They, they never pumped anything in Switzerland. Uh, what, what about Japan? Their inflation rates 3.3%. They, they never pumped anything in, in, in Japan. So you have to look locally at what these local central banks are doing to the money supply. And, and another problem, you, you, and you mentioned this, I think you fell into the trap, Adam. Let me quote Milton Friedman. Monetary policy is not about interest rates. It's about the rate of growth in the money supply. It's the money supply. So that's, I think, covers at least partially what you were asking me. Uh, it covered an awful lot of what I was asking you, and you covered a few things I was going to ask you. So that was a wonderful answer there, Steve. Um, first off, I want to uh, just comment that uh, we had had Lacey Hunt uh, on our uh, uh, recent conference about three weeks ago, um, and he thinks very similarly as you, um, which uh, when I see very smart people coming to similar conclusions, it, it lets me lean into those conclusions more, which is great to hear you guys uh, you know, seeing things quite similarly here. Um, when, when talking to Lacey, uh, sort of made the analogy of inflation is sort of like a like a mortally wounded bull elephant which is you know uh maybe shot it may be on its way to dying but it's going to trample around for a while do some destruction before it finally kills over right now it seems like everybody's still focused on that elephant thinking that inflation you know is is going to be the beast we have to still kill but you're basically saying no 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 it's it's mortally wounded you know, at some point here it, it's going to keel over and then we need to worry more about what comes next Right. I, I think that's a good way to put it. I, I think that, you know, I said baked in the cake where you can, you know, the elephant or bull, it's been more mortally wounded. And it, it will go down. Now, now the, the thing that's interesting about the, uh, the reason I like the bull analogy is that uh, it will go down, but, but it might, you know, ramble around all over the place. And that's the noisy data. Right. 
that's that's looking at the so I, I we're going to get an inflation number this week, and I, I anticipate it's it's going to be weak and going down, but you never quite know. There there are zigs and zags in these data that throw people off base, but the fundamentals are what has been going on in the money supply 12 to 24 months prior to the inflation number that you're looking at. And, and that will tell the tale. And, and given that, I, I know the bull's going down. The, infl the inflation is, 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 that part of the story has, has been licked already because, right. of the, because, because the Fed was excessively tight. They, 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 they overdid the thing. And the reason they overdid it, they're, they're not looking at the thing that counts, the changes in the money supply. Right, right. So in our elephant analogy, they're looking at where the elephant is trampling next. They're not looking at the fact that it's got a bullet hole in its heart and they, they can count that it's going to go down at some point in the near future. So um, when we talk about the primacy of data like the money supply, you mentioned that the current reading is negative on a year-over-year -year basis. In terms of its momentum, is it still continuing to contract here? In other words, like you basically said what's important is the trajectory of the money supply because that tells you where things are going to be in the future. And if it's continuing to contract, then it should suggest that things are going to continue to worsen in the future um, as opposed to like, hey, at some point we're bottoming and, and, and we can start feeling optimistic about things six months, a year out, whatever. But, but is it still heading downwards? Oh, yes. Now, the, 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 this is a very critical point that you're raising. So, so it's one thing to look at year over year data, but what it always happens, you have to look at things at the margin, right. a little closer in. And, and if you do that, and, and instead of looking at year over year, if you take the six month numbers and annualize those, and, and remember year over year is contracting at minus 2.35%, but the six month annualized is declining at minus 5.4%. Mm. It's accelerating, it's accelerating. Then if you look a little shorter at a three month period and you annualize that, it's even going down faster. It's minus 5.7%. So the momentum, you, you said you used the word momentum, the, it, it's, it's accelerating. The, the, the contraction's accelerating. And what, what is worrying actually, and, and it is comes back to the banks because banks have been really the only, bank credit has been the only positive contributor to that shrinking money supply, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and what did we just say about banks? We had the banking crisis, all of this, and, 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 and they're kind of decelerating the credit growth, but, but I think that's gonna go very close to zero actually. So this, this means that the broader M2 number, the money supply number, that, that momentum that I just gave you will, will probably get worse. There, there's nothing positive about what we were talking about relative to the money supply. Everything is looking negative. All right. So we're basically entering a storm. And as we're heading towards it, we're seeing the storm clouds. You mentioned those at the beginning of the video. The storm clouds are getting bigger. They're getting darker. The winds are picking up. The weather's getting worse. So 
as as we look out towards the storm for all the reasons you just mentioned um i got to point out the the disconnect right now between you know what the fed is telling us right which is i'm going to continue you know pursuing inflation Powell has basically said if needed i'm going to hike more but if not i'm going to pause and i'm going to hang out there for the rest of the year right like i'm not planning on changing policy at any point in time yet the markets are predicting a Fed pivot as soon as the summer. That's just a couple months away. And the markets have been, you know, fairly in rally mode this year. Um, so there's a big disconnect between the, the stormy weather that the, the Fed kind of says it's preparing for, preparing for, but you definitely see, Steve, and the markets who are looking out there and, and all they see are sunny skies, it seems. The only thing that would really cause a sharp pivot at the Fed would be if there'd be some liquidity crisis on Wall Street or something like that, then, then they will pivot fast. And, and it'll, be the, it'll be the kind of thing that, that you know, you, you won't really pick up in the market. It'll, it'll happen pretty suddenly and they'll pivot pretty suddenly. Um, all right. I, I, I want to I dig into that point in just a second, Steve. But real quick, um, the, the, the markets are you know, still relatively sanguine this year, certainly versus where they were last year. They do not seem to be pricing in the type of, of economic storm that you and I were just talking about here. So do you anticipate uh, some sort of repricing in these markets when they, they begin to realize that, that uh, you know, it, it's not going to be as many sunshine and roses as they seem to be pricing in right now? And obviously, if there's a pivot, that'll change things. And I'll talk with you about that in a second yeah, here. Well, but... there, yeah, okay. There, okay, that, that's a good question. Of course, tricky. But the, the market, you, you, the market's been kind of segmented, shall we say. So the, the, the big tech stocks have had a huge rally, actually. They're, right. And the rest, of the rest of the market's been kind of in the doldrums and not, not doing very well. So... If, if you look at the aggregate of everything, it, it looks like it's kind of, as you say, kind of sanguine. Well, if you look under the water, there's a, there's a lot of garbage going on. <laughs> at, at the top tech part, it looks pretty sunny. So, so it's, it's kind of stormy down below, but uh, up the, big, the big guys in the tech world have been doing pretty well. So the question is, what, what, what should people be thinking about and, 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 and number one, in, in general, I, 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 I subscribe to holding, you know, high, high quality stocks that you like and, 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 and the investments for the long run. I'm not, I'm not yeah. talking about day, day trading and that kind of thing. So, so that's, that's, that's fine, but I would, I would lighten up on the, on the more iffy positions that you might have, and you know, you can either go in money, money, you know, go in cash, safe, safe cash, either, either two-year treasuries or you know, good, good government money market fund. So, that, so that's that's one thing. Now, the question. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry to interject, but just because you mentioned it, so given the fact that you see these storm clouds ahead and that the, the main important trends are still continuing to deteriorate like money supply. Um, it's an uncertain time. And so being able to park yourself somewhere safe, like T-bills, 
and get paid for it in a way that they haven't been paying in a good long while, right? That That's probably not so bad for somebody right now that doesn't have a lot of confidence on where else to invest. Would, oh, would you yeah. Agree with that? Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I completely agree with it. I mean, that's what I've done myself, but that's that's another matter. We don't we don't need to get into that. No. <laughs> okay. But but you know, also I said earlier gold. Remember mm-hmm. I said something about gold? Well, I do. What did I say? I said about 6 months before recessions, gold starts getting strong and it remains strong during the recession. So so go you want you want to go Let's go into gold. And and gold has been picking up recently. In in kind of your safety zone, you want to include not only cash, let's say those two-year T-bills, but you want also some gold. Okay. And and sorry to interject again, but but gold has had a pretty strong run the past month or so. Do you see that as an indicator of this, okay, we're getting to the point in the timeline where gold begins to sort of front run the coming recession? Well, I... I would say, I'd put it this way. I, I think it's consistent with the fact that I think a recession is right around the corner based on the quantity theory of money. Based okay. on the quantity theory of money, I think economic activity is going to slow down dramatically and we'll have some kind of recession. Okay, that's that's point one. Now, point two. So so what, Hank? You, you know, you, you've got the thing baked in the cake. and What do I do? You're asking, what do I do? And 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 one thing I I would do because I like gold and focus on gold is that I'd want some gold in my portfolio. And why would I? Because I know that prior to recessions and during recessions, gold's history is to do well. So I, that that's that's the gold thing. And and the cash thing goes without saying. I mean, you you said you know you're getting you're getting paid a little bit to be in two year T bills are perfectly liquid and safe and everything, and and so that gets you out of the storm. You're you're on you're on the sidelines. You're you're not going to get buffeted by by winds and rain and all, all the rest of it or tornado. And and then you you keep your high quality investment. Uh, positions and that's it. Got it. And I'm guessing you you would imagine you'd be open to the fact that you know whatever you own going into a recession may go down in it. But if you're buying something that's quality, maybe has a good track record of paying dividends and whatnot, you know it, it'll weather the storm and come out okay on the other end. Yeah, and 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 then it, you know that for me there are different exotic things that for the general purpose person maybe aren't that in. I happen to like lithium and I, lithium is, is boom, boom. I, I've been long lithium for a long, it's boom, it's backed off. And I think it's probably pretty close to its lows. So I, I there, there are various specialties that if you study and know something about them, you wanna be in them. And, 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 and they're just a whole array of things. You know, when I, when I say good high quality investment positions that you have that assumes you've actually studied the, the positions and, and know what in the world you're doing right we, we, you're hitting on an important point here i just want to get your your commentary on which is we've had a number of, of experts like you come on the channel of late and say look you know for the past 20 plus years um for the most part um 
you know, investors, passive investing has paid off, right? Uh, because you had the central banks, you know, at your back, they're pushing liquidity into the markets and being ready to intervene anytime the markets, you know, got wobbly, right? The famous Fed put. Um, we're not living in that world anymore. And so what I've been hearing from a lot of experts is, is look, it, active investing is really going to be the, the successful approach going forward where you can't just close your eyes, buy a sector or ETF and expect all boats to rise. You've really got to do your due diligence to find the, the diamonds in there uh, and separate them from all the junk. Would you agree with that? Yeah, but I... <laughs> Yes, I, I I'd agree with what you just said, but you know, backing up a little bit, I I, I I'm more a, a due diligence, drill down kind of person. So yeah, anyways, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just you know I, the, so the the market is one thing, and and, and but but it, it's it's just not the way I'm wired. I, I like to. I like to drill down on very specific things. and Right. Well, and I guess where I'm going with this is is the way that we're wired, you and I, and I think the way most of the viewers are wired here, which is that fundamentals do matter, right? But we've, we've been in an era of investing, a pretty long era of investing, where the fundamentals got overwhelmed by a lot of intervention and, you know, other extraordinary measures that, that kind of dictated what went on. I believe we're entering an, an era where fundamentals are going to matter more again. Would you agree I, with that? I, yes. Great. Okay. Yeah. 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 Man. Right. All right. Um, yeah, I, so, I, I think right? I think people will be in a position where you know, you know, they they won't be able to push us off on the sidelines uh, as they as they've been able to do. <laughs> in the last few years let's put it that way great that's exactly what i was going to let's, let's summarize what we were just talking about so great so i i i'm the kind of person i i i looking at equities for example or 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 anything you can look do the same with commodities if if it's equities i i don't want to buy the market i buy a company I buy companies. I don't. I don't buy markets, and and the same with commodities. I, I, you know, okay, you can look at commodity indices and so forth. But I, I'm 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 a commodity person, or or, or currencies, for example. All these things are specific currencies. I I want to trade specific currencies. I I don't really want to trade a basket, and and that's that's just my orientation. But I'm I'm not saying it's. It's better or worse than other orientations, but that's the way I look at the world. I, I look at specific companies. I don't look at mar the market. I mean, I do look at the market. I shouldn't say that. I do look at the market. I want, to, I want some ideas the market's going up or going down. Yes, that's, that's fine. But I, I, I'm not into trading the index. Got it. All right. Well, well put. Look, and a couple of specific questions about some commodities you mentioned. Um, gold, you track gold very closely. In fact, you, along with um, uh, your one of your partners there, have created a gold sentiment index. Um, yeah. Can you just talk really briefly about 
what that index is telling us right now? Okay. Uh, right, right now, as we speak today, I, I, I can't tell you because I, I've been so busy. I haven't had time to look at the index, but the, in, the index changes every hour. So, so it takes the temperature, the sentiment in the gold market every hour. So, so you, it's, it's based off very high frequency data. So, so let, let, me, let me walk you through what, how the thermometer works. It, it's like a barometer, basically. Uh, that, that's another thing. It's like a thermometer or a barometer. And, and what we do, I do this with Abe Kaufness, and we call it the Hanky Kaufness Gold Sentiment Score that, that we produce every hour. So the score has a range. It, it, the biggest negative possibility is negative 15 versus a positive 15. So if, it, if it's, and, and, and the way we measure it, we look at every article that's come out in the last hour and, and with text mining, we have, we have a dictionary of bullish and bearish words that the computer is able to allow us to read all these articles with what they call text mining. And we ultimately figure out, is this article bullish or is it bearish? And we accumulate all those articles every hour and come up with kind of an aggregate, uh, let's say temperature or bar barometric pressure. Is this thing bullish now or bearish? And if it's bullish, what, what do you do? If it's, if it's highly bullish, you, you, you want to get out of your long position, liquidate that and, and go short. If it's bearish, you want to do just the reverse. You, you want to get out of your short position and go long because the sentiment is moving around all the time and, it, and it's always reverting back. Once it gets up an extreme, it will revert back the other way towards neutrality, or it could go from actually bullish all the way over to bearish. I mean, it could swing all the way. So, so it, it's it's measuring the temperature. It's not it's not measuring the sentiment in the gold market for a, a long term trend. For example, we talked about what what we think is going to happen long term in the gold market, anticipating mm -hmm. a recession. So that means the long term is going up. It's going up, up, getting stronger, stronger, going into the recession. But, but along the way, the, the prices will be going up and down, up and down, up and down, zigging and zagging all over the place. And this sentiment is based on high frequency data that allows you to catch those zigs and zags that are going up. Now we had on, on the 4th of April, by the way, we had a, a huge negative reading. I'm, I'm holding up the, you, you can put that up for your readers. I think I sent it to you. Yep, you did. We'll put this on the screen, yep. Yeah, a huge negative score popped up. Actually, uh, early in the morning, uh, the score was flipped over into minus eight. That's a very extreme score 
at 8 a.m. Then at 9 a.m., it went even more negative. It was minus 12. We, we put on a, 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 a big position long, and what happened to gold? We, we caught a, a $37.5 move up in gold. Wow. Right after. So if you go back to the fourth, you'll see there was a huge up, upswing. Yeah, I remember. It wasn't that long gold. ago. And, and this is a perfect example of how this salmon thing works, you know, when it works. It works most of the time, by the way. We, we've been running this thing now for a couple of years. And the, depending on the trading algorithm that's, that's linked to the sentiment score. In other words, you get a sentiment score. But the question is, well, what do you do with the thing? Right. I told you in, in general terms what you do. But you have to have an algorithm with trading rules in it which we do. And depending on the algorithm, we, we've been generating returns that are in the 30 to 50% per year range. So very, very, very good performance with the thing. It's been working really like a charm. And, and if you want to find out more about it. Uh, that was going to be can, my next question. Yeah, let, let me just tell you. Uh, you go to our website, which I will read off. It's www.thegoldsentimentreport, all one word, thegoldsentimentreport.com. And you'll find out the various things we offer. Uh, the, the, the basic service is uh, $15.95 a month, and you get six sentiment scores every day. But, but there, are other things, there are other things that you can get. Plus, you can get a, a free sample of this, uh, get one score a day, and give you some idea of what's going on. But, but that's the gold market uh, based on what sentiment, what temperature is driving the market on these, on these very hour by hour. What's, what's going on? So, so for for people who want active trading, uh, that's that's one way to do it. Uh, the other is if you want to be adding or subtracting from positions that you have that are more long term fundamental, you want to you want to see what the sentiment's doing because that'll give you a pretty good idea of when to enter the market or exit the market. If you're thinking about selling a long position, you say, well, I've had it with this gold market. It's not doing what I want it to do. The question is, oh, how, when, when do you get out? Well, you right. better know what the temperature of the market is with the Hanky Kaufman's gold score at that time. And it'll, it'll help you time your exit. Or if you want to get in or add the long position, the sentiment score helps you with that also. Well, Steve, that's great. Look, I will put up the URL uh, on the screen here to the Gold Sentiment Report so that interested um, investors can go you know, check out this service. And I do want to, you know, long viewing wealthy on viewers here may remember when you came on this program, Steve, when you were in the beta testing phase for this and a number of uh, wealthy ons early viewers were, were some of the first to actually take this index out for a test drive. And it's great to see how far it's come since then. So congratulations to you on that. Real quick, oh, as we, we wrap we, up here, yeah, oh, go ahead. We, yeah, we, we, we had a, a lot of wealthy on followers that actually uh, 
got on board with, with us and have been there ever since our first session. So, so it, it's obviously something that is in interest to, to your viewers. They're, they, they're interested in, in what's going on in the gold market and how you measure sentiment in the gold market. Right. And looking for actionable or always looking for actionable resources. So it's great that you're you're continuing to uh, to optimize this one here real quick before you go. I want to this is an unfair question to ask you, because um, I'm sure we could have made the whole interview about this topic um, and we can have you back on anytime you like, Steve, and go deep into this. But um, uh, I, I'd like to just I'd like to get your sentiment on the Bitcoin and crypto space, because you tend to write about it a lot on your, your Twitter feed. Um, you've definitely got a very defined point of view on it. I want to read two quotes and then I'll just let you go here. These are these are two quotes from your, uh, your Twitter feed. Um, first one is, is the US Treasury says the decentralized cryptocurrency market threatens US security. The US Treasury has a point. And your second one was um, an investment guru, Paul Singer's interview with the Wall Street Journal he articulates what I've been saying. There are thousands of cryptocurrencies. That's why they're worth zero. Anyone can make one. All they are is nothing with a marketing pitch, literally nothing. So um, I'd just like to get your, your latest kind of current sentiment on Bitcoin cryptos. If you see any difference between Bitcoin and the rest of the cryptocurrencies, every so often I get people to ask me, you know, Adam, talk to your guests about what they think about crypto. Since you have such a defined opinion, I wanted to give you a chance to give everybody your latest thoughts. Okay, well, the latest really uh, uh, is that tweet that I put out. By the way, people can follow me uh, at, at Steve underscore Hanky on Twitter. And, and that Paul Singer, Paul was interviewed over the weekend in the Wall Street Journal. I, I re highly recommend that interview. It's very, very interesting. Uh, I, and I, I was in agreement with generally with the interview. Let's put it that way. He, he's, he's coming. He's coming from things the same way I am. He, he, he had a small remark, a point pointed remark about cryptos that you quoted. I completely agree with that. So that's my current view. They can be produced by anyone or, or zero. Now, he was talking about Bitcoin in particular. So Bitcoin does fall into that category. Some of the other cryptos uh, may, may not be worth zero. Uh, they, they, they might actually be backed by something. We, in most cases, we don't exactly know what, but that's another story. The, in general, that, that whole space, it, it, you're, you're talking about a category of assets that's highly speculative. So, so if if you if you like to go to Vegas, it's it's a place for you. I I, I don't like to go to Vegas, so it, it's just not it's this is not for me. That's I, I, I I'm a little I, I'm like Paul Singer. I mean, you know, he's he's the kind of guy who likes to buy companies too. He, he, <laughs> Or, or Charlie Munger or, or uh, Warren Buffett. I mean, they, those guys buy companies. That's that's what we do. Not, but again, everyone's free to speculate. If if you if you like to go to Vegas, I, I'm not going to tell you not to go. Go 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 speculate your and gamble your 
to your heart's desire, but know what you're doing before you go. <laughs> you're speculating on, in the case of Bitcoin, something with a fundamental value of zero. Great, and that, that's really what I wanted to sort of get a clarity from you on, which is um, reading your, your Twitter feed, it, it, it seems to come across that you think, look, if you, if you wanna preserve and grow capital, you don't see cryptocurrencies, at least in general, as a place to do that. Obviously, if Bitcoin's got a fundamental value of zero, sounds like you don't think any money should really go in there. Um, are there are there any parts of the cryptocurrency universe where you think, well, this is one that's maybe worth keeping an eye on? Or do you just really say, look, yeah, you know, people will spend money in all sorts of crazy things. If you want to just go and play in that world, whatever, fine. But that's not a place to, to build wealth sustainably. That's a good summary of my position. Okay. <laughs> it's, it, 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 you know, if again, it's a, it's the a Vegas kind of analogy. I mean, you know, some some, some people hit the jackpot. Let's right. face it. But the odds are not in your favor. It's the just odds what you're are saying. not in your favor. Plus, it's even worse than that. In in Vegas, you know what the house knows what the odds are, and you know what the odds are. With crypto, you don't. All right, great. All right, well, look, I, I, I know we're going to get a bunch of crypto supporters here saying, Adam, you should have asked oh, oh, this whole litany of other questions. We're going to save that you, for a different you, day. Yeah, you have to realize it, it, it's a re, it's a religious movement more more than an investment movement. I mean, people in, and and Singer hit it on the nail. Read the last part of what Singer said. Read, read the last sentence because Sing, Singer articulates the thing exactly the right way. You're saying the, the sentence I read earlier? Yeah, you, right, right. All the they are is part, nothing with the marketing pitch, literally right, nothing? It, yeah, the marketing pitch, the marketing pitch. It's something worth nothing. It, it's based on a lot of hot air. That's what Singer is saying. I agree with him. All right, great. All right, and look, folks, for those of you who yeah, if, if you want to hear the other side of the story from a, a, you know, credible, rational proponent of crypto, let me know their names in the, the comment section below. I'm totally open to bringing them on and letting them make the other case. But Steve, I appreciate you making your position on this super clear. And obviously, Paul Singer is a pretty smart guy as well. Um, well, look, Steve, you've given us another great hour. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your insights so transparently. Um, are there any parting, uh, either bits of advice or any key topics we didn't cover, things that you just would want to put on the radar of, of the average prudent investor who's watching this because they're trying to self-educate and, and probably most importantly, just make sure they don't become collateral damage to the storm you see coming? Uh, you know, the, the only thing I would say, two things. One, thank you for having me on again. Oh, it's always a pleasure. The, the other thing is, you know, it's an old line, but, you know, if, if you're interested in, in accumulating wealth, you, you better first and foremost, rule number one, try to avoid losing money. You, you got to worry about making it, but you got to really focus on staying away from those traps mm -hmm. that, 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 that lose your capital. It's, it's 
the the drawdowns are are in much more important than the upside and and by the way the drawdowns have been very small on the the algorithms using the hanky kaufman school sentiment i i told you what the returns are they depending on the algorithm they've been between 30 and 50%. They're very high. Yeah, those sound majorly but what, impressive. But what's interest, but what's what's more interesting than that is, is the fact that the drawdowns have been very low. That's that's the message. In other words, anyone listening, they say, oh boy, he's got something at 30 to 50%. Oh, that yeah, oh, that's fine. That's that's the that's the that's the positive side. But but the real interesting part is very small drawdowns uh all right well thanks so much for all that steve um real quick for um, people who have really enjoyed this conversation maybe for the few who weren't super aware of you beforehand uh who would like to follow you in your work um besides going and checking out uh your gold sentiment score um besides going to your following your twitter feed um, where else should they go? I believe you have a distribution list, correct? Yeah, I, I do I have a distribution list. And, and I, anyone who wants to get on it, just, just send me an email at hanky, H-A-N-K-E, at J-H-U dot E-D-U dot E-D-U. And, and request to be put on my distribution. I'll put you on right away. Awesome, Steve. Thank you so much for for offering that. Um, I I hope you don't live to regret it with all the different all the many requests you're going to get no, from no, no, they, to be they, added to it. it, it they, you know, the, the 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 ones who want it will send me emails, which is fine. It's not a not a big deal. All right, Steve. Well, look, thanks so much. And Steve, look, you've done a magnificent job in this interview of really hammering home the main message of Wealthion, which is that. Uh, if indeed the future is as uncertain and volatile as you've been telling us it's highly likely to be, um, it's really challenging for the average investor to navigate on their own, especially if they have a, a job and a family to focus on and they don't have the expertise of a university professor in economics such as yourself. So we highly recommend that folks work um, in concert with a professional financial advisor who takes into account all of the macro risks and challenges that you talked about today, Steve, um, and not only you know takes it into account in developing a personalized plan for the individual investor, but then actually sits there by their side and executes that plan for them. And folks, if you're watching and you have an advisor who's doing that for you, fantastic, you should stick with them. Um, but if you don't, or you'd like a second opinion from one who does, uh, consider scheduling a free consultation with the financial advisors that are endorsed by Wealthion. Um, it's totally free, doesn't cost you anything. Uh, there's no commitment to work with these guys. They just offer it as a public service. Uh, to schedule one of those, just go fill out the short form over at Wealthion.com. Um, and if you've enjoyed having Steve on this program, folks, would like to see him come back on this channel soon uh, and other great uh, caliber uh, guests like him, Please do me a favor, support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Steve, I want to thank you so much again for sharing so much of your time and expertise with us today. Adam, great to be with you. Have a great day. Thanks so much, everybody else. Thanks so much for watching.